paper up. Trouble with my pips of paper up here. There we go. So as I said it when we when we began our worship, um, this is the last in our autumn series on the church values. Um, th these values are important. I know our values are based here in this word, but I suppose creating a set of church values is a way of just trying to draw out of it you know, what we feel is most relevant and important for us in our setting and in our fellowship. Uh, so they are relevant. They're not just to be written down and put on a shelf. You know, I would always want to bring your attention to them, which is why you know, we uh, you know, want to preach on them as well and draw our attention to them. Now, we all know we're all very much work in progress, continually being shaped and moulded by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us for that very purpose. So as followers of Christ, we submit, don't we, to God's holy work in us. And it's so important we recognise that there's a lot of work to be done. You know, there's no point thinking, you know, I'm a, very, I'm, a good, I'm a good Christian. I wonder what that means. Be careful. So as followers of, of, of Christ, we submit to that work. And the work of the Spirit continually desires to challenge us and change us and draw us closer to our Lord and his example for us in Christ. <clears throat> and I think being a servant-hearted community <clears throat> excuse me, is a uh, very important part of uh, who we are in Christ. And as we'll look at a little bit later, how Jesus very much was the servant who comes, steps down to us. But I quite like this first slide and this sort of idea of this downward path to glory or greatness as it's, as it's got on the slide. You know, I think sometimes we seem to think, you know, it's all about a climb. But I think sometimes when we think about being servant-hearted and we think about humility, it's actually a downward journey. We, we are willing to step down. Jesus stepped down into the world. And sometimes we have to step down into situations which are not wonderful and glorious and pretty but they're where the people are and they're where the needs are so servant-heartedness is in one sense is a stepping down into glory and what that glory might mean actually in those situations uh, just an example you know sometimes when you are uh, ministering to sometimes elderly folks the people are very sick maybe you know you are stepping down to be with them and alongside them in their situation so stepping a downward path to glory, following our Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's a little sort of phrase I'd like to, to hold out there this morning. And Paul emphasises the importance of humility in this journey, this downward journey. And the importance of humility to, in order to maintain a unity, a sense of purpose in the church. And he goes on in this reading to actually show how that humility needs to then be expressed in our own servant-hearted service towards others. It's not just something we can think about and think, you know, I need to be humble. You know, we show up, our humility is lived out in service to others. One of the most striking things about Jesus was his humility. His, his willingness to put others first and, it, and express that by serving them. Though he was and he is and he ever will be the son of the living God, the king of kings, the lord of lords. 
the highest of the high, and yet he steps down to serve his people. God, who makes himself known to us in Christ, is one who stepped down into this world, making himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. And the Apostle Paul, in his letter, urges his readers, the Philippian church in this example, to have a similar attitude. If we want to follow Jesus, you know, we, we, you know, we actually follow him down into glory, in one sense, in the way we serve. As I say, it's an attitude which isn't just about our good intentions, but it does require its outward expression, its outworking into the world. We very easily speak about Christian attitudes of love and hope and they're wonderful things, but let's not forget that if we seek to walk in the spirit of Christ, we will, by definition, need to walk the path in humble service to others for God's glory. So I'm going to speak briefly on three things, humility and self-sacrifice, and before coming round to glory in that passage, and it draws its closed. We've done that. Okay. No, no, it's fine. No, it's fine. You just can't get the staff these days. Have you, have you seen it? The first couple of verses. If you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any fellowship with the Spirit, if you have any tenderness or compassion, then Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit and purpose. And I want to just draw your attention first to the any in that first verse. There's, I think, four in these or five in these there. Paul clearly knows that the church is full of people who are work in progress. He doesn't have any sort of illusions on that. He knows that. He knows that from his own life. He knows he is work in progress as well. We're not the finished article. But he's saying, if you have any encouragement, if you have any comfort, any fellowship, any love, he's saying, if you recognise anything, however small, of how your following of Jesus Christ has started to change you, even though you've got just a little bit of it, then seek to be like-minded, he says. Recognise the love you share with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's Christ amongst you, and therefore be one in spirit and purpose. It's, unity in a church is about our focusing on Jesus. Yeah, we're all very different, and it's great we're all very different. But we come together, not in uniformity, but in unity, gathering around our Lord Jesus. And they'll say, Paul is just saying, if you've got even a little part of that experience, just recognise that hope and seek to share that with one another in unity. And because we do come together in Jesus' name, you have to meet one another, but we come together in Jesus' name, Paul goes on by saying, do nothing, therefore, out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. But in humility, what is this humility we're called to embody? Well, quite clearly, humility is the opposite of pride, isn't it? 
you know, if we puff ourselves up and we want to reign over people and lord it over people, then we've just gone off in the opposite direction. Humility is clearly the opposite of pride. There's a French Roman Catholic priest, Vincent de Paul, who, back in the 16th century, he said, the reason why God is such a great lover of humility is that he is a great lover of truth. Humility is nothing more than truth. It's honesty, isn't it? Pride is nothing but a lie. It's when we puff ourselves up and we would wish to see ourselves and we wish others to see us not as we are, really are, but as we are not. Pride places us at the centre of the world. Humility places God at the centre and us as his servants gathered around. I always think genuine humility is an attitude which allows God to be God in all situations. Great Old Testament figures like Moses and Elijah were humble men because they recognised themselves merely as vessels of God's word, as servants, nothing more, nothing less. The glory was always God's, not theirs. We also need to be wary of false humility, which is an easy one to fall into, for, again, any of us. It's an apparent act of humility, but one that is really just there, uh, uh, an example of our pride in disguise, where we undertake actions in order to, in some way, bolster ourselves up in the church, maybe, in other people's views or in our own views. I looked around for some wise words on humility, and I've got three quotations here, maybe of help. Jesse Jackson wrote, never look down on anybody unless you are helping them up. I think that's rather lovely, that is. And C.S. Lewis, who's so good with these pithy things, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. And the last one I have is from Thomas Merton. He wrote, pride makes us artificial, it's false. Humility makes us real. A genuine sense of spirit of humility is foundational in our approach to God. If we seek God with self-serving pride, even when it's in disguise, we only fool ourselves. We cannot fool God who searches our hearts and our minds. Now, I personally believe God works through us as he pleases. He works through our imperfections. But he delights to work through those with humble and trusting hearts. A sincerely humble heart is an invitation to allow God to be God in all situations. A couple of quotes from Psalms, Psalm 25. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his ways. And again, Psalm 149. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with salvation. And if you think about it, humility is a prerequisite to receiving the salvation of God because we no longer think we merit it, but are willing to submit ourselves to his compassion and his mercy, allowing God to be God. Once we are in the right place, a humble place before our almighty God, we are better able to attend to him, to listen to him, to receive from him. Again, C.S. Lewis, he said, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God, C.S. Lewis says. A proud man is always looking down on things or people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, 
you cannot see what is actually just above you. A humble person is not one, someone who thinks just meanly of themselves. They simply seek to not think of themselves at all. And I think Paul in Romans 12 picks up on that. For by the grace given me, I say to you, to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to yield ourselves to Christ, to observe, <coughs> to observe his life, and to copy his servant-hearted nature, offering all that we are for God's glory. Jesus was a servant whose eyes were not fixed not upon himself, but upon the needs of those around him. Which is why Paul, I think, in our reading goes on to say, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be, something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The example of Jesus, for the followers of Jesus. Humility, not just as a nice idea, but as something that is heartfelt and lived out. Philippians verse two, chapter 2 and verse 6 states an amazing fact. Jesus did not consider his equality with even God as something to be selfishly held onto. Jesus not, did not think of himself he thought of others. His outlook, his attitude, was that of unselfish concern for those around him. This is the mind of Christ that says, I cannot just keep my gifts or my blessings or my privileges to myself. I must use them for others. And to do this, I lay down, gladly lay down my claim to them and willingly seek to pay the price that is necessary. The writer Richard Foster wrote these words. He said, more than any other single way, the grace of humility is worked in our lives through the discipline of serving. And one of Foster's friends took that sentiment a little bit further when he then said, you really know you're a true servant when you have a positive reaction towards the people around you who treat you like one. A servant is often taken for granted. A servant is often overlooked. A servant is often not maybe even valued, unnoticed. But a servant gives up the right to be in charge of whom they serve. They, they, they give up the right to, to uh, when they serve or how long they serve. Everything in us tends to rebel against service like this, especially when our service has been rendered unnoticed to others. <clears throat> Excuse me. Our ability to offer genuinely humble service to others comes from the strength and understanding of our dignity and identity in Christ. It is about, all about Jesus and our identification with him as our Lord. It's because we identify with Jesus that we can humbly serve. That we don't need to seek to be either noticed, rewarded in any worldly way. 
But the sin of pride is deep. It is deep within each one of us. And pride always seeks to drive us apart, while humility expressed in the service to others seeks to draw people together. If you ever see a church that is fragmented, then I would always say you will find a church where pride is lurking in the shadows. So remember this morning the values you have here as a church. Servant-hearted. We seek to reflect the servant heart of Jesus. By serving God, the church, our employers and our community in a generous and willing manner. With humility we share our own gifts and talents as service to God, looking not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. We at Milford Baptist Church seek to follow Jesus. Jesus didn't pretend that he was a servant. He wasn't acting in some sort of role in the play. He was a servant, though he was God. Man and God, deity and humanity, united in one. Something that just confounds us. It's hard to even grasp, but he comes down into this world to serve us. I'm sure you would have noticed in the Gospels uh, that Jesus is repeatedly uh, recorded as serving others, and yet very few bother to serve him. Matthew 20, Jesus calls his disciples together, and he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first amongst you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Your turn. <laughs> Thank you. And the last few verses of the reading. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name of which is above every name, but at the name of Jesus every, name, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This, of course, is the goal of all that we do, to glorify God. Paul warns us here against what's called a vain conceit, or vain glory is an older term. The kind of rivalry that pits Christian against Christian, or ministry against ministry. Jesus humbled himself for others. Ultimately, he humbled himself even to death on a cross for our sakes. But God lifted him up from a place of despair and emptiness and desolation to the highest place, so high that his name might be the name above every name. Men gave that humble servant Jesus names of ridicule and slander, despising his humility. But the Father gave him a glorious name. Just as he stepped down into this world in his birth, <clears throat> he was given the name Jesus. So in his exaltation, in his lifting up, he was given the name Lord God. This humble, servant-hearted son rose from the dead and returned to heaven in victory, ascending to the Father's throne his exaltation including sovereign authority over all, 
all creatures in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So that we can confidently say with Paul that one day all will bow before him and confess that he is truly a Lord. The whole object of Christ's humiliation and exaltation was that God might be ultimately glorified. As Jesus faced the cross, the glory of the Father was still uppermost in his mind. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may also glorify you. The humble, servant-hearted Son of God has also promised this glory to all who would take up their cross and follow him. Again, in John 17, Jesus says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Servant-hearted followers of Jesus must expect a life of both sacrifice and service. But in the end, they can also expect that this will lead them into God's glory. We may not see that glory today, but we shall see it when Jesus comes and rewards his good and faithful servants. So as members and worshippers at Milford Baptist Church, calling ourselves followers of Jesus, that Christian attitude of humility expressed in servant-hearted service is something that we should be able to see in one another. But most importantly, it's also something this community should be able to see in us. What the earlier song where it talks about brother, sister, let me serve you, serve you. It's a great, lovely little song, but at the same time, it seems to focus primarily on men and women of faith. I think we also very much have a witness, which is a servant-hearted witness into the community as well. So let me close with these final words of Jesus. John 13. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. He said, do you understand what I've done for you? There's a question. You call me teacher, you call me Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that, but now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than their master, nor is a messenger greater than one who sends him. But now that you know that, now that you know that, you will be blessed if you do them. May we go and do likewise. Amen. <laughs>